I know in the past I've talked about how New Year's and stuff like that are kind of an arbitrary thing, but we are in a new year, in the year of our Lord 2015, and this is episode number 55 of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, grumpy programmer Chris Hurtis, and the other ear is Ed. Ed, how are you doing tonight? Ed Funkatron Harchus. Funkatron Harchus, that's right. And Chris, grumpy programmer Finkler, coming to you via audio stream from uh, uh, undisclosed locations. Mm-hmm, that's true. That so we're into episode 55, uh, divisible by 11. I don't know if that means anything, but but yeah, this is our first podcast of... It, no, no, this isn't. Is this the first podcast of 2015? I can't even remember. When, when did we talk to... I'm going to go look at the website, because I might have it wrong. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Was the when we talked to the boys from Dev uh, from PHP Town Hall where Phil is still wrong because that's up on the website. I think I think this is the first one in 2015 because I think we talked before New Year's. Pretty sure we talked to them before New Year's. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's 2015 episode number 55. So before we go into our usual spiel, Ed sponsors, please. Yes, we have two wonderful sponsors today. Um. One is Wonders of Networks, um, and that's spelled K-A-L-E. And Wonder Network, uh, uh, they uh, have us set up with a fancy brand new server uh, for streaming that um, I didn't bother to check out until about 7.30 tonight. And so uh, then they actually went ahead and fixed a couple things uh, super fast, which was crazy of them because I, it was my fault. They had like, asked me to look at it in November, and I didn't. And uh, they're really cool. So what they do is, uh, have you ever uh, seen uh, Star Trek The Next Generation? Is actually a humongous Star Trek fan, which always boggled my mind when I was younger. Yeah, you wait. Who is my dad? Oh, your dad is. Okay, yes, has seen every episode of every Star Trek show. Yeah, um, that has been on television, and I mean every single episode of every single show. Well, so you're probably familiar with the erotic possibilities of the holodeck. Yes. So what Wonder Network does is kind of like that, except instead of erotic possibilities, it's uh, what does your web page look like in different places. So that is uh, what they do. And uh, they set you up. They let you view your web page in like Peru and Argentina and Chile uh, in, uh, uh, I don't know why I'm only thinking of South American names right now. Uh, Madagascar. Maybe they have one in Madagascar. I'm not sure about that. But I did see one of those Madagascar movies. Um, and I think it was one where they went to the circus and, um, Chris Rock was a very, uh, fly urban, uh, zebra. And so that is again, kind of like what wonder network does. Um, they go to the circus, they find out, uh, what your circus website looks like in various different countries and then shows it to you uh and that's fun time um the other sponsor that we have uh who is well loved in the development hell family is uh rove and what they do is they give us some money and then uh uh we i think that what happens is that there's a guy there gary who uh, sends a, I tell you, say to him, Hey Gary, we need such and such money. Right. And Gary says, yeah, that's right. And then I think what he does is I think he asks this other person for more money than we asked for. And then he just gets a little taste off the top. Um, he just like wets his beak on the deal. And then he uh, sends us, say 90% of what he asked for. And then that's what they do. So if what they do for you though, instead of just giving us money, what they do for you is you say, Hey Gary, 
and you have to talk to Gary. Hey, Gary, we need a new website uh, that is for, it's like Uber um, for chocolate chip cookies. And he'll say, yeah, we can do that for you guys. So, and what they do then is they cut you a deal and they take just a, like a, 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 a taste. They just wet their beak on the bandwidth. So they just take a taste out. They take like a little, like say a five or 10% piece of the bandwidth that you're using. And then, you know, you're not going to worry about that amount. And they take that. And then what they do with that is uh, they illegally stream NFL broadcasts with that uh, around the world. So other people can see it. And so if you want to get in bed with these guys, uh, they're good guys. They are upfront with you about what they're doing, right? You know, uh, everyone's got to make a little bit of money here and uh, everybody's happy. So um, I believe what you do is you go to Rove.com and uh, there's a button that just says Gary on it. And you just click that button. And uh, that will just hook everything up for you. Uh, enter in uh, whatever your email uh, username and password are after you hit the Gary button, and he'll set you up. So he's got everything for you. He takes care of everything for you. Uh, and then you're good to go. So um, that is what Rove is up to uh, this week. Yeah, that and a bunch of other things. But really, Uber for chocolate chip cookies is kind of the boutique market that we're aiming for. Yeah, that is, uh, I hear that's going to take off. Yeah. All right, so with all the uh, all the sponsorship stuff out of the way, um, let's get into the episode. So um, today's kind of topic is uh, everything old is new again. Um, and before, before everything I, old, before I cut open some new, new wounds of Ed's, uh, I'm going to give a uh, first world problems uh, update. So as people were following along on Twitter, and this, I just find this interesting, of course. I mean, I did know what I was getting myself into when I decided to purchase a previously enjoyed luxury automobile. And uh, the interesting thing is is I've been... Wait, are, is this going to be another thing where you ran over a homeless person? No, no, no. I didn't actually run over a homeless person. Um, for all the law enforcement agencies who are listening to this post facto, having skimmed it in as part of the NSA collection, no, I did not run over a homeless person. But um, I have a desire to have a nicely integrated phone and sound system in my car. Uh, because right now I'm using a... Uh, cobbled together idea of I have a I have an auxiliary port for right. the stereo and, yep. and I have the cigarette port so I have an adapter in it for right. USB so and, and smoking right yep. and and smoking yes and because uh, it's legal up here and uh, so rolling slanted anyway doesn't matter uh, so I'm playing music from my uh, from my Jesus phone into the stereo and sound quality is good and everything but. But I intensely dislike um, cobbled together solutions to that because as I get older, I'm becoming a snob and I don't enjoy these yep. types of things. So right. I was looking into, okay, so my car did not come with Bluetooth uh, installed, even though I do have a vague memory of the salesperson telling me this, but nowhere, I actually looked at this and nowhere in the receipt does it mention that the vehicle has, has Bluetooth in it. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, what do I need to do to retrofit the, the, the test mobile? And, you know, what would it take? So the thing that, so I'm discovering that, yeah, all these add-ons for BMWs, they're, they're expensive. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this comes as no shock to many people, but I'm looking at an outlay of anywhere between like $1,500 and two grand if I actually want to have like Bluetooth hands-free calling and then like nice Bluetooth ADP audio streaming from my phone to the stereo. Um, and I've even seen ridiculous things like, well, I'm going to have to actually upgrade the, like, I don't know what you would call it quite correctly, like the console, I guess, like mm -hmm. that the stereo and navigation and everything goes through because I have an older mm -hmm. one. Right. So be like, so be like, yeah, you upgrade, like one person, I actually like emailed the place that does these things that sells the kids. Kids, I'm looking through, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I saw some instructions on, okay, remove this thing and thread some wiring through. Okay, that looks reasonable. And like, oh yeah, but the new controller for the iDrive is there. So you'd have to cut into the, as soon as I read, you have to cut into the console. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, don't so, do that. Um, 
So that's the thing. So um, and that has been in a discussion of that of how much these things cost with my wife. Because my wife always assumes when I talk about how much something costs that I'm milliseconds away from actually spending the money to do so. So this triggered a very long argument about my shortcomings as a husband and my shortcomings uh, in uh, money management when I was just simply pointing out saying, this is a ridiculous amount of money to do what I want. So I'm going to wait until I've saved up more money and then I will get this thing done. But I'm not going to drop the money to do it right now. I mean, I should probably actually pay the car off completely before I, you know, before I start doing things like that. So that's so, my little, so that, yeah. So wait, how much was it going to cost? Like anywhere from 1500 to $2,000, depending on what I want to get done. Really? Because I remember you were talking about that on Twitter and it sounded like it was going to be six or 700, which still is a lot of money. Right. See, that was just Bluetooth. Right. That's okay. what, that's what right. BMW try. That's what BMW and assorted people try to charge you. Basically, Basically, it's a blue. It's like a Bluetooth integration unit, right? And yeah. it it goes like in the trunk. There's like supposed to be a spot. Like you go into the back of your car. There's like one section where this unit is where they have a spot for it. And in some cars they have it, and in some cars they don't. And I know that mine doesn't have it because when I follow instructions that I found on how to pair your car, pair your phone with your car, that option does not appear for me, which right. basically means that it's not there. So it's like five to six hundred bucks just. For the unit, and then everything else you want to do is on top of that. So we're talking about stuff like I could get uh, get a new unit thing put in. I could get the uh, I could get uh, replace the console with the navigation and get a new one in there. So it all depends. It's all depending on how much money I want to spend. And so I'm just kind of annoyed because I look at that and think that's that's a a big chunk of change, and that's like like almost 10% of what I paid for the car. So it's like, it's because right, yeah. I bought it used. I'm looking, yeah, maybe I should pay the car off before I go and do that. My, but it's funny because my Passat, although I think I, you know, I'm leasing it and I think actually new it's a little bit more. It sounds like than you paid for it. My, my yeah. Passat came and now they come with it like the Bluetooth audio. Oh, the newer BMWs yeah. come with it 100%. Right. It's just that this one right. doesn't, ha- this one doesn't have the much. Like I think it's one of these things where I could buy the, I would buy the piece and like in an afternoon I would have Bluetooth for the car. So so I may, I will probably do some kind of like step up thing where like I'll get the Bluetooth thing done first, and then once I actually have Bluetooth hands free and all that other wonderful stuff working, mm-hmm. then I'll then I'll decide do I want to do the other fancier upgrade? Because yeah, I, I looked online, I can buy the piece that just simply lets me have Bluetooth for the car and stream, and because iPhones will do the Bluetooth audio the. A, I think it's A2DP, I think it's yeah. called. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. iPhones do that. So I could stream um, I could stream via Bluetooth to the stereo. So, um, And then I went down the rabbit hole. I looked and someone so- showed me some instructions on how if you have uh, an Airport Express, which I do actually have in my hand as we're talking, right. you can take this thing apart yep. and with a little bit of electronics work that doesn't look too hard to do, you... Uh, get rid of the power supply in here and you change it so that it draws in the power over USB and then you can mm-hmm. play stuff from your phone over Apple AirPlay which apparently is better audio quality than Bluetooth A2DP. So. I would expect it is. Yeah. The uh, the A2DP is so I have a little bit of experience with it cuz yeah. um actually the Passat that I have now is uh, the first I think it's the first car that I've had that fully supported the from the first Volkswagen I've had that fully supported the audio playback, not just like phone integration, but like was had pretty high fidelity audio. Right. So it sounds reasonably good. Um, and I'm fairly picky about that. Like, you know, when I listen to like my Sirius XM, I can tell the I can hear the compression on the music, and not not the level compression, but I mean like the uh, artifacting of the you know the bit rate compression and shit like that for for their uh, however they broadcast that using MP3 or whatever. Right. I mean, I can hear that. It's so I'm pretty picky about that shit, um, and it sounds pretty darn good to me. Um, Plugging in will sound better, <laughs> but it is annoying. It's annoying to have to plug in. And then the other thing is that 
when you plug in and then it's it, what's really nice is like, oh, I'm listening to something like a podcast or I'm listening to music like on audio or something like that or just stuff that is on my phone. And then I get a call and it pauses it and it uses the same audio for the call and everything like that. Whereas if I'm plugged in, then I've got to like, oh, to like hear it through the the system i have to unplug it and it's a whole big deal and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. so like, like i said i'll probably do it like in steps the first thing i'll do is save up some money and get the unit just so the car can have bluetooth because i re- we have it in our equinox which is the other car that we have that my wife drives and the bluetooth integration for that was just so easy and might take phone calls in the car all the time so um that, that's the plan. So I'm just kind of annoyed that the car didn't have the Bluetooth unit in it. So Yeah, well, you should take it back. Or Now, you, <laughs> you bought it from somebody. Do you know where that person lives? Well, no. Well, no see, part of, the, okay, part of the problem is when you buy a used car, right? It's, I looked at the, the contract. Anyway, to get into it, I looked at the agreement that I signed when I bought the car. And it basically says, you've been sold the car as is. So there's no list of all the features that were promised for the car. So it's not like I went to yeah, a BM, BMW dealership yeah. BMW dealership and bought the car where they said it has this feature. So I would say not having Bluetooth is like a minor annoyance. I can play my music through the car. No problem. I just have this. I just have all these wires. I'll my phone's plugged into two different things and it's sitting in the center console. So it's more annoying than anything else. I mean, it would be nice to just have the phone stay in my pocket and then I could stream audio to the stereo. That's, yep, that is that's, nice. that's ultimately what I, what I want to do. So like I said, we'll, we'll, I'll get there over time. I got, I have lots of time. That car's not going anywhere. So yeah, it's not going anywhere, not going anywhere anytime. All right. So enough about Chris's first world problems. So, uh, so when Ed and I were, Ed said to me he wanted to do another podcast. I'm like, cool. We do our usual back and forth, picking a date. And so Ed's like, what do we want to talk about? So we kind of have two things because we want to keep this the show short because we got started late tonight. Yeah. So two things. I had noticed something about is it is was it pronounced WebOS? Is that how they pronounced it? I was calling it WebOS. Okay. Yeah. So I saw something, and now it's. It, it is so impactful that I don't even remember where I saw it. But something about WebOS, um, that LG's using it on some devices. I know I know that LG bought the whole thing from Palm, and, and it was supposed to be like the operating system for T, for LG TVs or something. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? Yeah, so so LG uses it, and they have released at least one TV you can buy in the U.S. that runs WebOS. Um and I think they were talking now recently about putting it on other devices. I don't know what's really going to happen with that. Um, I still have uh, some Twitter friends who uh, who worked on WebOS back uh, back at, at HP and Palm and and, and are now uh, at LG because they are on the team, the software team. Um, and uh, I guess there was a lot of really good. I, I guess the that TV was really nice. Uh, I saw some demos of it. It did look cool. Um, and the Enyo framework is still out there, uh, which you can use to just to do like cross-platform, like tablet and and uh, and uh, and phone apps and things like that. So, uh, which is it's pretty nice. Um, takes some getting into, uh, and I haven't. I don't. I, but I've you know I've seen some pretty nice apps developed with it. Yeah. So I just with the theme being everything old is new again. It just. Because I remember, uh, maybe some of the listeners remember too, or they, or maybe they they don't know because I know Ed and, Ed and I did talk about this at length, but not on the podcast, probably via messages and other stuff, about just a lot of bitterness. How you you know you pour a lot of effort into something, um, you know you worked a lot on Spaz, and Spaz was something that you you know poured it over to work with uh, right. various web boss devices, and just it just the way it kind of ended, you kind of felt like you had a bad taste in your mouth, and mm-hmm. just that'd be interesting. Like now that you've had a little bit of separation. It's been probably a couple of years since you've had to deal with any of the web web OS stuff, and so did you? Did you feel like your participation in it was worth it? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I learned a hell of a lot doing that stuff, and I learned, and I met a lot of really great people. Um, I have a lot of uh, people who I'm still real close with and good friends with uh, who I met through that process. So. Um, 
Yeah, I learned a ton from it. Um, I, you know, learned about how to run an open source project uh, successfully, and I think it was successful. Um, the the th- and I guess I learned a lot about. Uh, you know, some some of the stuff is sort of like I learned what not to do, and then I I also learned um, what things work well and what you sort of what to what to value out of things. Um, I was really glad with Spaz that we always took a really approach that um, we didn't try to market it heavy and push it and stuff like that. We just put it out there, and um, you know really pushed it as this is an open source alternative to other stuff that's out there. And I was really proud of the fact that it, it stuck around for as long as it did. You know, when other, when the platform was, uh, um, you know, sort of, it looked like maybe it was going away or there were things like that. And of course it eventually did. Um, you know, spaz was still around after a lot of other companies sort of dropped off. Um, and it for uh, you know at the end it was the and it, it's you know still the only uh, I think the only Twitter client on WebOS but it, I haven't developed on it for a while so there's probably some things that don't work with it I'm sure um, I but the uh, you know I was really proud of it it was really neat like I remember um, HP was going to be coming out with the touchpads uh, shortly and they were starting to do a push and it was at the ESPN ESPY awards and uh, HP was like a big sponsor and they had tat- like touchpads there and they that was the only Twitter client that was available on it ever uh, on the touchpad with spaz and they were like using I actually saw it on the TV like somebody was using it like they were, when they were cutting to a commercial and they were having wow, a that's really cool. Yeah, it was kind of neat, right? Um, I thought, you know, I was proud of that. And I was proud of the fact that it was an open source um, project that was there when nothing else was still around. And the reason why it was there is because it wasn't motivated by like, well, how much time are we spending on this? And how much money are we making on it? And things like that. Everybody who contributed... Um, did it because they just liked doing it and they wanted to make something good and they were motivated to do that. Um, and so I met a lot of really good programmers, a lot of really good people, uh, through that process. Um, and, uh, made good friends who have, you know, gone on to other companies or do different things. And it's, it's just something I'm, you know, looking back, I'm really proud of. Um, you know, obviously, I'm real disappointed the way that HP handled stuff. Um, I think HP was, uh, you know, just, I don't know, uh, clearly in, in a sort of a bad place. And uh, I don't know how much better it is now. I just kind of stopped paying attention. But it's it's definitely seems to be the case that... Uh, you know, CEO wise, certainly in that period, they were just a disaster. They, you know, bring in one person, that person let, you know, leaves soon after they keep changing their mind about what they want to do. And the, you know, it was a tough thing because, um, there weren't really any better options. I know for Palm, um, when they got bought, Palm just didn't have the money to stick it out. Uh, and, um, so HP was, I, th- I think I remember looking back at it, it sounded like they were the only ones who said they actually wanted to continue making products. I think most of the other companies were just interested in buying Palm for their patents, which Palm has a, had a ton of patents. Um, so that was a, uh, really attractive to a lot of, a lot of companies, uh, but were otherwise probably weren't going to do anything with WebOS. Or, and that was all the Palm was at that time. That was all they got, right? So HP committed to still doing that. And then the, the CEO who had architected that sale or that, that buy uh, left <laughs> before it was, you know, and then they've got this new guy in there and he's, he's like, we're going to split the company out. We're not going to make hardware anymore. We're going to be a software company and stuff. And then that uh, you can go back and look, it was a disaster that involved like, you know, stockholder lawsuits and stuff like that. It was a really, really bad scene. And uh, I think that was hard for, I think it was hard for everybody. It was hard to see a lot of people who were scared about their jobs and, you know, ended up 
having to go find different things. Um, I think uh, most of the people who I knew landed on their feet and figured something out, but it was a, boy, it was a tough, it was, a, that was tough, you know, to see folks going through that. I mean, the skin in my game, you know, my, or my skin in the game, I should say, wasn't financially, it was just, you know, sort of like emotional. Um, but some people, they relied on that for their livelihood. And that's a, that's a really a tough thing. I think I learned a lot about, uh, when we sort of like uh, on the outside criticize companies and talk about, you know, how much they suck and this and that, or especially when we're talking about a company that's really kind of headed downhill um, and kind of give it shit. Uh, that was uh, something that taught me that that was, you have to remember that there's probably thousands of people there who rely on that to feed their families and uh, they don't know where the, what's going to happen. And that's a pretty scary thing for them. And most of the time, it's they're working hard. They're just trying to do their job, right? And sort of, sort of gives you a little bit of perspective on that, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, all in all, I, I feel like it was a really good thing. I think um, working on SPAS in general and, and on the uh, WebOS stuff uh, in particular uh, did a lot of things for me. Um, you know, I didn't set out to make it like that, but I learned, I mean, I learned a ton about JavaScript. I learned a lot about, um, uh, how you develop for different screen sizes and things like that. I learned a lot about, uh, you know, working with the tools that are given to you and how you have to learn them on a different platform. Um, I learned a lot about doing cross-platform development because we shared a bunch of code between like the desktop and the uh, original um, phone app and then the uh, Enyo-based uh, app that was uh, for the HP touchpad. Um, and though, but there was a lot of, there were a lot of core libraries that were used in between those. Um, and uh, that is, uh, you know, all of that was just really great. And, and, a lot of people, you know, I, I, I certainly think that like career wise, it helped me. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, that wasn't what I set out to do. I just did it because I wanted to, and I, I thought it was kind of a cool thing to do and it was fun. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, the other thing that I, uh, uh, the other, uh, thing that I found, um, with it was, uh, I realized how much time and how easy it was to invest just tons and tons of time in it. And I spent invested a lot of time in that. And um, one thing, the reason why I ended up stepping away from it and stepping down was, you know, saying I, I can't do this anymore. Someone else is going to have to, going to have to take over this. Um, that was, uh, I did that because, um, you know, I was just, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I took it real personally and I was really frustrated and uh, with, uh, you know, how everything was going at the time with HP, you know, uh, canceling the touchpad six weeks after it was released and stuff like that. And um, uh, that was just that was really, really hard. And I was very emotionally invested in it and invested in a in a way that was, you know, why? be so emotionally invested in it. I mean, it's not something that at the, in the, if you look at the grand scheme of things for me personally affects me all that much, it was frustrating and disappointing, but it wasn't something that I should be like super upset about. And I was, and it would, it was, it was very stressful for me. And I learned that I had to like, I need to step back and I need to not do this. And I, it, it taught me a lot of lessons about how to balance uh, life and uh, the things that I want, and the other things that I I do, and and I sh when I say life, what I mean is like uh, really the relationships I have with my family and other people, um, and how important those are, and um, so balancing that stuff out was something that I learned a lot about, and probably learned kind of the hard way because I think it was really hard on my family a lot of times when I was either working, putting a bunch of time into it, but also. Um, you know, when I was really just frustrated and in bad shape and, you know, just being a dickhead to people. And that was just really, really, you know, not cool. And, and it was a ridiculous thing to be upset about. It wasn't like, 
you know, we're not talking about uh, something that's actually, you know, changing people's lives, really. This isn't, you know, this isn't something where it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, this is about human rights or this is about, you know, curing cancer or something like that. I don't know, man. I always think, I always think that's a bit of a dodge and a snobby uh, coming from a, uh, I think that's a viewpoint coming from a position of privilege to say mm-hmm. to somebody, well, it's not like you weren't doing anything important. What you were doing was important to you. Right? Yeah, that, that's and, true. That's you know, true. And, and I know me personally, work usually doesn't bleed through um, into terrible interactions with my family. It's usually my hobbies that bleed into terrible interactions right. with my family. Frustration over my inability to do the, um, Inability to do the things that I want to do. It's it's interesting. We can just kind of segue for a second. Um, I had an interesting conversation with my wife where she um, she noticed. She said, uh, "I always have this desire to be good at things that I'm not good at." Yeah. And then once I've achieved some internal level of mastery, I stop complaining about not being good at them. And she said the whole, um, she said the whole speed, she said, look at your speaking stuff. You used to complain all the time about, um, stressed out about giving talks and not getting accepted. And, and she's like, now it just seems you said your attitude towards it is completely different. And it is, um, now I don't actually worry about getting rejected by conferences anymore. I submit talks, and if they want them, great. If they don't, well, that's fine, too. There's always other conferences I can submit to. And then my stuff about writing a book, it was like kind of stressful leading up to it. But now that I've done, um, I mean, three of them, and now I'm working on a fourth, mm-hmm. um, that the process of writing a book is no longer stressful either. It's just something that I know how to do and I just go and do it. And I just kind of, uh, I, I find it interesting that at some point, I guess internally I just say, well, I can do this. So there's no need to complain about it anymore. And then I go on and find other things I wish to master or not, not even master, but just get better at. And that's, I mean, I foolishly signed up to play slow pitch um, softball again this year um, after one of the league members called and asked me if I would come back. So, right. um, so I'm sure there will be some bleed over from that, from me complaining about stuff to my wife about it, um, about my, um, even though I'm a good team guy, I'm very supportive on the team level and, and I understand I'm not a, I'm not a star and, um, I'm a role player and, and I'm going to try my hardest and contribute in a positive way, but it's still frustrating when you don't, when, um, when the level of uh, the level of success you have at a task doesn't match what you want in your head. Sure, sure. So I just I just found it uh, I just found it interesting that I get so wound up about participating in activities that I'm not good at, and when I don't do well at them, um, my reaction to my not to my not doing well is probably out of proportion with what reality is supposed to be. I should look at it and say, well, you know, Chris, if you want to look at it, um, have you really put in the time and blah, 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 blah. And of course, I don't want to hear that bullshit. I just want to hear someone say, yeah, man, it sucks and you're getting a raw deal is what I really want to hear. Right. Uh, but that's not But that's not the reality. So, um, so, yeah, to get back in a roundabout way, I mean, I don't think you personally – should feel bad at all about feeling bad about the web OS stuff, not going the way that you want it. Because again, I, I, I think it's a, a combination of arrogance and speaking from a position of ridiculous privilege to say, well, it's not like the thing you were working on was important, or it's not like the thing you were working on was earth shattering and changing lots of people's lives. You have absolutely zero way of knowing how many lives you impacted through your work sure. on SPAS and web OS. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, I have no way of tangibly knowing how many lives I have changed for the better by people have bought my books and taught themselves how to do do the things that are in the books. And maybe they've improved their career. Maybe they've improved their own personal knowledge. I have no way of knowing, no way of ever possibly measuring um, the impact of that. So, right. So again, dude, I would, I, I always tell people, man, that's this thing that you've poured all this energy. It didn't work out. That sucks. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I, I never belittle the scope of a task. Yeah. That someone yeah. Poured energy into. I think that, I mean, I think there's degrees to it. Right. Um, and I think it's a little easier to justify when it's like, I'm doing this and I'm saving people's lives, you know, and, uh, versus what I was doing, which, yeah, it was very important to me and I was very invested in it. Um, but for me, and I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, 
it what it what it did was it triggered me to behave very inappropriately at times towards people um like the stress level became very high for me and you know look i've got a lot of problems with that that's that's something i deal with and i'm real open about um but it's not fun you know it's not fun to think about like when you realize that you're like you were just yelling at your family and why were you upset? Well, a bunch of different things, but what it comes down to is you're one of the big things you were upset about is because HP decided to stop making, you know, uh, touch pads. I mean, that's, yeah, I sure that's kind of, you know, it affects a lot of people more than it affects me. Uh, it's disappointing, but is it something that I should be screaming at people about and people I care about and, you know, alienating them, making them feel shitty? No, it's not. So there's some perspective that goes into it. It's the same kind of thing as like why I try not, you know, I just don't get caught up in passionate arguments and, and being really kind of tribal and hateful about things like technology stacks because, man, that shit does not matter. Save that for something that actually matters to the same degree uh it doesn't mean it's not important it doesn't mean it's not important to you and it's not important to be good at something and that you don't value it and there, but i think there's a difference between yeah i'm disappointed yeah i'm frustrated or i'm being kind of an asshole to other people uh and that's a big factor in it and for me it was a big factor so i i you know that was that was the stuff that I think I regret the most was uh, was really kind of the impact that it had there, and I haven't um, I haven't dug into doing another like big open source project since then, and I think that's a big reason why is I'm kind of wary of that. Um, also, I guess I found that when I was working at Purdue um, at the university, it, I just had more time. It was just kind of more laid back. And and now, you know, I feel like I have to work a lot harder at, sure. I don't know, real jobs, uh, quote unquote. Um, but uh, it's just it's just hard. It's kind of like, you know, when I get done with my stuff, I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to fire up more programming. You know, I'm, I'm good. Right. I'm just not I'm just I haven't you know, I haven't found that thing that strikes me the same way or maybe just it just kind of drains me. Uh, uh, of of uh, uh, of that you know desire to keep programming you know uh, and uh, because I get to I'm I'm working on stuff and that sort of sates that I guess to any extent it would so that's kind of where it is now um, I there's things I miss about it there's a lot of things I miss about uh, working on that and there were a lot of really great things and I miss those things a lot. But I don't regret stopping uh, as in, in, you know, and I don't regret doing it in the first place. It was a great project and we did a lot of cool stuff. And um, I think that uh, it was it was really neat. So I'm, I'm glad we did it. I think it's kind of neat, too, that people, you know, I, I remember that this is a little different, but it's sort of the reactions I got. I remember when I posted something about that, there's. You know that uh, folks had, were working on basically a uh, taking the open source parts of WebOS and uh, then getting it into a working uh, operating system that runs on stuff. And there recently there had been some. I think it was Luna OS, Lune L U N E OS. I think. Right. And uh, I think one of the things that was kind of interesting about it was, you know, when I posted something about that, uh, there were folks who. Uh, talked about, uh, well, I guess that's cool, but why are they working on it? It seems silly. And I guess, I don't know. I, I like that people do stuff. And I don't think it's any sillier than, than the folks who make, you know, homebrew games for like the Atari 2600 or, uh, you know, mess around with BOS still after all these years or do anything like that. I don't know. They just like it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's cool. It's, uh, yeah. I, I think it also can be kind of interesting to um, uh, apply constraints to yourself for a project too. I mean, I you mentioned the thing that per, that light bulb kind of went off in my head a little bit when we we're talking about Atari twenty six hundred. I mean, I think about the first computer I ever had, Vic twenty. I mean, I write emails that wouldn't now that wouldn't fit in the memory <laughs> yeah, right. of that first computer. So I know that 
I remember seeing sometime in uh, uh, seeing article or some some somewhere on a blog post or something where someone was talking about they felt that one way that they found to get good work out of themselves was to put constraints on the thing that you're doing. You right. you know whatever the task is, you apply a constraint. You could it could be that uh, you know uh, the most common thing was a time constraint. You've got you know two working days, you know, or it's Wednesday, you know, it's Monday. Um, get it done by Friday. And whatever you have on Friday, that's going to be the finished thing that you're going to show to somebody. And, or, or constraints about how, you know, uh, build something without using this particular library, you know, create your own interface to Redis. I mean, I, I could think, I could probably come up with a whole bunch of kind of absurd constraints that you could apply to yourself. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of interesting, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, Atari 2600 programming. I mean, I don't even know how would I, I would go about approaching if I said, okay, I want to write a game right. that would run in an Atari 2600 emulator. Right. I don't even know what ridiculous constraints would be on me. You have, you, it's so different from what we, uh, work with today because i mean i know that you and i doing mostly web stuff um we don't ever really think too much about memory about the constraints of the system that the software may or may not be running we just always always assume that whatever we want to do should be possible um you know we Mm -hmm. we don't worry about running out of memory we don't worry about running out of file system we don't worry about um there not being uh enough room to store this data in our data store whatever happened to use so um I, i think about this more and more um with the because I'm going to do a nice little segue into the second topic where I wanted to talk about OpenCFP a little bit and the constraints of that system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of weird. It's, I mean, you would think for, for those who don't know what OpenCFP is, uh, OpenCFP is basically it's a call for papers management system that I initially wrote to work with True North because I wanted something because the way we did it the first year was just like people email us or we had some other system for proposals that was just garbage and I didn't like it and I thought well I could write something and then I'll just I'll put it up on GitHub I'll have a permission uh, uh, you know a nice permissive license for it and if uh, if other people want to use it that's cool um, I need to use it for um, True North right. and so with you know. Uh, with contributions from other people, I'm uh, I don't have anything in there that phones home, but I would say there's at least a dozen conferences using it, and I know that uh, someone told me that they they like run their own like internal conference. Yeah, I guess they do their own little internal thing, and they said, yeah, we're using this thing. We use this internally to run our own little conference. So um, it's interesting because there's kind of two things that I'm noticing with OpenCFP now. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 first thing is, as as other people have started contributing, and I've gotten great contributions from outside um, supporters, right? Right. So Jake Smith, who does Lone Star PHP, has done a ton of stuff. Adam Culp, um, who does who does Sunshine PHP, also runs ZenCon. Those two contributed a ton of changes. Um, to make the system more robust and more workable. Right. Uh, and then uh, Dustin Weedle has been doing a bunch of stuff too. But the, so, but the interesting side effect to having outside contributors is that, that um, I don't, I don't feel a loss of control because it's not really about control. I mean, even though my repo is the canonical one, I tell people you should always use the master branch off of my repo. That's the canonical one. Um, but uh, it's almost like a lack of, of understanding of what's going on underneath the hood. And I think mm-hmm. some of that too is, um, is, well, I mean, I don't think Javification of PHP is the right word, but the, the, the tendency of the frameworks now to being more modular yep. and more com- component componentized. Is that even, that's not a word. Is it Ed? Componentized. Let's make it a word. Component. Okay. So that's a new word. Componentized. Um, and so now, Especially because I'm using Silex. Well, that's your first as the under, as the Shut up, man. As the <laughs> underpinnings of it. I wrote something using Slim, and it was garbage. I had to rewrite it. So <laughs> Because I didn't know enough to use Slim. Right, 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 so that's right. not Slim's fault. But now there are services... And there's and you know I used uh, I used a really lightweight ORM because I was getting tired of writing queries. So I have uh, entities and persistence and domain objects, and it's like 
like part of me is like, yeah, man, the stuff is letting us to part of this is that we're really moving towards the idea of I promote with my testing talk is that you want to write your stuff. So it's like Lego blocks, right? Snap your blocks together. Boom. You, you snap blocks together, uh, add a little bit of wiring code and you have an application. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of open CFP is actually that way where I've written glue code, gluing these various pieces together. But at the same time, part of me is like, just grinding my teeth a little bit too because it's like you now we have all these layers of things and and what happens is that I go in I don't understand what's going on and then once I actually have to do some work with it I start to understand more mm-hmm. you know? so I start to understand okay now I see where the servers are so like one of the things we hear and this is rightly this is a, a I think this is actually a valid complaint for open CFP so many places are using it now mm-hmm. but it's not centralized and I have zero interest in creating an open CFP platform slash software as a service for conferences to host their own CFP through it. There is zero money in it. I am no longer interested really in trading my time for no money mm-hmm. or n- not even money, but like something in return. Like when you did all the stuff for Palm and WebOS, at least you got a few devices to play around with, right? I know you have a touchpad and, yeah. and I got a, re- and I, and you know, my wife used the Palm Prey phone that you, that you, uh, that you gave to me and it worked out fine, but I'm, I'm really no longer interested except for this one project, open CFP. I am willing to trade my time for nothing for really nothing in return. So, uh, God, and now I lost my train of thought. What was I going Oh, my on? God. Um, so, yeah. So, so yeah. So, when, like, for example, so one of the, yes, the problem. So, because it's not centralized, we have this problem where people need to create accounts mm. on every call for paper site. And they have to cut and paste um, their talks. So, one of the things we're trying to figure out is some way for, to make it easier for people. So, the first step, of course, will have to be that OpenCF, OpenCFP itself needs to have an API. Now, I wrote something very rudimentary. I hacked it out in a couple hours on the weekend um, to allow people to post talks. It's not up in production anywhere. It's on its own branch. It's not merged in with the main. Um, and that, in turn, has sparked a good discussion between myself and Dustin and um, Jake um, Smith as well, where we're kind of talking about now um, some potential solutions. So uh, what I was saying before, where they made changes underneath and I'm, I'm choosing not to be the really assholeish dictator of the project where if someone does something and submits a pull request and I take a look at it and it seems reasonable um, and the tests pass when I pull their changes in, then okay, I'll merge it in. So now when Dustin talks about, well, you know, we could probably abstract the authorization authentication thinking stuff as a service you know maybe six months ago i'd be like oh oh more layers of shit i i don't understand how these services work in the context of in the context of the app but now i kind of do and i saw that someone was using and uh, was using traits to simplify some of the stuff that i had been doing um, and again, a couple months ago, it was like, uh, traits, uh, I don't know enough about them. Do I really want to use them? But now it's like, yeah, now I totally see the benefit of doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to people listening, yes, I'm aware that it's a pain in the ass to have to cut and paste um, uh, your talk proposals. But we're working on something. We're trying to find a way to uh, – Dustin has an idea that we may be able to kind of do something that is – I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this distributed changes so that mm-hmm. hopefully you could be on one site. You could be on one site. Yeah. I want to take this proposal from this CFP thing and propagate it to this other one. So yeah, right. um, through OAuth and other stuff like that by mm-hmm. where open CFP would have its own OAuth stuff and you'll be able to authenticate against it. So Dustin and I are going to hash out something. So the, the idea idea would be that somehow you can say, I want this talk to propagate out to these existing CFP sites. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I know that Matt, I think, is it Matt Stoffer? I, I apologize if I'm forgetting the name or butchering it. The guy, he does the five minute podcast, oh, the five yeah, minute uh-huh. video thing that I think it's Matt Stoffer. So he and, and Matt, he's been working on, um, a thing, I think it's called Save My Proposals or Save My Papers, something like that. I'm too lazy to go look it up. But basically the idea, 
the, his overall idea, and Matt Frost had the same idea, and Matt very wisely, due to time commitments, uh, said, oh, Matt's doing the same thing, and he's way more motivated. Cool, I'm going to dump on, into his lap a whole bunch of things I was thinking about, and now Matt's going to run with it. So right. basically, what we're going to end up with is one site where you can um, store all your proposals, uh, your talk proposals, and then we will create an API for open CFP sites so that you can push to it. So that you can say, uh, the idea that I had was, um, at a very basic level, was the idea that you would have a unique token for every single CFP site. And then on the Save Your, pay, on the save your Proposals side of things, you could just say, here's the URL for this site. Here's my token. Send this talk. And then it'll all just happen in the background. It'll just say, yep, it'll submit it. It'll return an error back if you're like, if, if something about the talk's not right, you know, you're trying to use a token that doesn't belong to you and, and all that other stuff. So um, that's kind of my vision. I want, I want people to be able to say, uh, I like this talk. I want to push this talk to another site. Here's the URL for this, for this CFP site. Um, here's my unique token that only works on that site. Boom, push this talk over there. So we can kind of the idea of like, oh, I, I think this talk is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, I already created it for True North. I want to push it to, um, to Lone Star. Right. You should be able to, you should be able to go in and do that from inside True North site, I think, if we, if we structure it correctly. Yeah. And then, and then Matt's, uh, whole idea, uh, Matt Stoffer's idea is really good too. If a centralized site, as long as you have the URL and we can offend, OAuth against it, then you'll be able to push your talks to, to whatever site as long as you have the URL for it. So that's kind of the goal. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit ambitious, but um, yeah, it's, it's just it's interesting. It's just because it's just because the, to be perfectly honest, Open CFP has grown way past what I ever thought. I thought True North would be the only ones ever using it, and um, and the fact that so many other sites have adopted it um, is awesome. And and now it's like first when you create, it's like ah, I don't give a shit who uses it, but now that other people are using it, I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe we should like kind of smooth over some of these rough edges and mm-hmm. and um, you know. And get test coverage up, and because I just hacked shit together because I needed it to work. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of weird now. I, I feel um, an interest in its survival and an interest in making it as useful for a large number of people possible. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. That federation stuff is interesting. Um, I mean, that's the it's it's and it's not an easy thing to do as as far as I understand it to. Well, you're getting disparate systems that, you know, there's not necessarily a centralized place where everything talks to each other and that, but to be able to talk to each other, I think is, is, uh, is ambitious and interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, the way, I mean, the way, of course the actual implementation, I mean, may not be able to do it, but in my head, I can kind of see that with so many, with everyone running the same versions of the software, once they update, everyone will have the API it shouldn't, I mean, I look at it and say, we, this shouldn't be that hard to, to make this work where we po- where you can post a talk from one site to another as long as you have a valid account over there. So, um, you know, that's how I kind of look at it. I know that someone else has mentioned to make account creation easier. Um, I'm going to look into it about logging in using GitHub mm-hmm. or Facebook. I don't have a Facebook account, so I, I couldn't write that code to like to test it. But the idea of like auto generating an account for somebody, okay, I could see creating the the stub for it right. inside, you know, open CFP itself. Oh, logging. Okay. We can then now we just have some flags saying, Oh yeah, they authenticate through GitHub and we'll do GitHub's little, um, OAuth, um, authentication dance too. So just the, the idea, like I, I like the idea of the federated login of, of me saying, I want to push this talk from true North to Lone Star. And I would really like to get that to happen. And I, I think, uh, because I'm writing the book, and for those wondering, the book is, I have 20 plus pages for the book already. So uh, I made really good progress um, last week, um, last Friday. So mm-hmm. once the book is done, then I actually want to devote my Fridays to open CFP and improving things. So um, it's just kind of funny how I, I tell people all the time, because um, I'm going to talk about a, a bit about this, but... Um, uh, Cal Evans' secret project. I'm not going to spill the beans on it because he's going to be yeah. revealing it. Um, revealing it at, at Sunshine. Are you going to Sunshine Ed? I can't remember if you. No, are I wish not. I was, but no. 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 Okay, all right. Um, so he's going to talk about it there. And uh, one of my contributions to it, um, I talked a bit about um, 
learning your tools mm-hmm. and learning them well, because, uh, you know, there's a tendency that of more junior developers, I think more than seniors, more juniors to like chase um, programming languages and tools um, for the coolness factor Mm-hmm. And for employment reasons, mm-hmm. I understand that you want to get a job that's going to pay. I understand that. I 100% understand that. But I said a thing, you know, when you learn to master a set of tools, um, you never know when opportunities to use those tools come up. Um, and so I kind of feel like um, the cross between my interest in conferences, both running them and attending them, plus the ability to create an application to manage proposals. Um, gave me a unique opportunity to do something. And so OpenCFP has been that kind of, that's like the one open source project, uh, you know, I contribute to because that's, it's, you know, it started off as my thing. And now I feel kind of like a fatherly, uh, you know, um, patriarchal uh, vibe with mm-hmm. it where I'm like, yeah, other people are using this really cool and pull requests come in and, and, you know, people ask me stuff about it. And it's like, yeah, I want this thing to be good. So the federated thing, pushing talk from one CFP instance to the other is something I want to figure out how to do. Cause I think that would be super cool. Yes. I think that would be really interesting. And plus, it'll give me shit to talk about on the talk circuit, too, which is a bonus on top of it. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I would love, for some of the, I I didn't submit talks for the, the, and I'm doing air quotes, the spring conference season. But I think for the fall conference season, um, I want to craft together a talk about OpenCFP and running it and and, um, talk a bit about some of the stuff that we discussed um, tonight. Yeah, definitely. Just just send them this episode. Yeah, just say, just go listen to this That's episode. That's your proposal. Yeah. That'll be my proposal. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, anything else you want to talk about, Ed? Nope. All right. Well, I guess we've reached the end <laughs> of another podcast. We talked about a bunch of interesting we stuff. Did. I think um, it was a-, a very different one. Um, so, I want to thank everybody. In I mean, I mean, well, first, Ed, I'll let you talk about the sponsors. Well, we should talk for a minute just about our great sponsors. Um, the first one is Network Wonder. And um, their new exciting uh, line of um, picture-taking devices uh, that take pictures of websites. And um, what they can do is uh, they take your website and it's like, hey, are you um, a guy who has a Sony Ericsson uh, old phone that... um, and, and this is what it looks like with that uh, when you're standing in uh, Mongolia with that. Yes, this is how it looks. And it uh, shows you what if you're, uh, it changes the pictures of all the people on your website. It turns it so it, it looks like people of that region. Um, it translates all the words into sort of a pidgin version of the local language. Um, and um, tosses in some uh, various, you know, local profanity. And uh, sort of, you know, it's like, let's imagine a trip around the world of your website. And that's what they do. And, um, you know, they just, they, they just, it's just an amazing thing. It's a lot like the, it's a small world ride uh, at Disney World, except, um, ex- except uh, in Netscape. And then our second uh, sponsor is uh, Vrove, uh, uh, the Vrove team uh, online at Twitter at uh, Vrove team at, and um, they, uh, I think as we discussed before, um, are uh, now, I think they have just uh, started doing CD compact disc duplication. Um and what they'll do is they'll take your website and turn it into a uh, a, uh, a presentation uh, that's distributed on CD-ROMs. Uh, so they do the whole thing for you. You just give them your address of your website. They take it. They convert it into a Macromedia Director project. They uh, put a player on the disk, and it will play on um, both uh, PowerPC uh, and uh, Motorola Max, um, and, uh, and also uh, Windows 95. And you can hand that out just to people that you see. So instead of a business card, what if you could give them a presentation? That's what Rove is all about. 
Thanks, Rove. Thanks for sponsoring us. God bless. God bless America. <laughs> so, yes, we want to thank our awesome sponsors. Thanks, Paul and uh, Will Roberts over at uh, Paul Reinheimer. Sorry, Paul and Will are not brothers. Paul Reinheimer and Will Roberts <laughs> over at the Wonder Networks. And thank you to Evan, Gary, and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, over at, um, at Rove Team for uh, helping sponsor us and keep us in a little bit of scratch so we can do cool things like, can I spoil it, Ed? Stickers. Yeah, we're going to get stickers made. and We're, we're going to get stickers, son, and then we'll start handing them out. And I may actually put a sticker on my uh, on my beautiful laptop, much to my wife's dismay, who is she is very, very much anti-sticker. She complained, she complained that I put stickers all over my last laptop. She didn't like it. You can, have you ever sold your laptops? I did, and the person who I gave it to complained bitterly about having to. I sold it to someone that uh, did that does Mac repair. So yeah, they, sure. so he he complained about having to scrape all the stickers off of it, so he could resell parts of it. Anyway, oh yeah. Uh, so this has been episode number fifty five of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, so you can find uh, you can find every single episode of the podcast on our website at devhell.info. Um, you can listen to us. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, every single episode is on there. You can listen to. You can also uh, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please, 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 um, you know, provide feedback. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like, so we can ignore it but pretend that we're friendly towards the audience. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on. Twitter's grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter as Funkotron with the U. Um, thanks for us. <coughs> thanks so much for joining us, and we will talk to y'all soon. Good night, Internet. Good night.